Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Rick Hansen. He is a psychologist, senior fellow of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley, and New York Times bestselling author. Today, we're discussing his book, Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. So, Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rebecca. It's a pleasure to be here. So what inspires you to write this book? It's a little bit different than other books about, um, you know, meditation and mindfulness. Um, What made you want to take this route with it? Yeah. Well, for one, it is different. So that's a good reason just in itself, at least to take a crack at it. Um, The second is that if you think about it, the great teachers throughout history, including generally the psychologists of the 20th century, have really engaged the causes of suffering or happiness, love or hate, at the level of the mind. And that's really important. I'm a psychologist. I'm a software guy is how I think of myself. But with science in the last 100 years, but especially the last 20 years, we can really begin to understand what are the uh, underlying causes in our body, right? in our actual body, particularly in our nervous system, especially particularly inside its headquarters, the brain. What are the causes going on there, shaped by 600 million years of evolution, that make people happy or suffer? And most important for me, also as a methods guy, you know, in the trenches of everyday life as a practicing therapist, business person, and so forth, how can we harness the power of our own body, particularly our own brain, to increase our own well-being, our own inner strength, and if we like, the um, uh, resources inside us for our own particular path of awakening. You know, I I, I like that you you've followed it along you know this path I've read a lot of books on this subject but when you're explaining it the way you do um, you know you take this this kind of scientific way that that this is how our brains work and then this is what has you know been we've been doing for thousands of years that also has been proven to do this which I think some people um, you know in, in the in our society can understand a little more of why these changes need to happen and and why they are happening when they're doing certain things. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, one of the it, things that I'll just tell you quickly popped yeah. out related to that is, <clears throat> you know, if you think about it, we have inside our head a kind of ancient zoo. <laughs> in other words, our nervous system. It has remnants within it uh, of solutions to survival problems faced by literally ancient jellyfish, crabs, lizards, mice and monkeys, hominids, and early humans, literally inside our head today. It's happening. And so one of the key features of that is what scientists now call its negativity bias. Uh, the way I put it is that we've got a brain that's like Velcro for the bad, the Teflon for the good. That's because uh, for our ancestors, it was more important uh, in terms of raw survival to avoid the sticks of life, predators, hazards, aggression inside or between bands and so forth, than it was to go get the carrots of life, you know, food, mating opportunities and so forth. That's because 
if you miss a carrot today, you'll have a chance of one tomorrow. But if you miss that stick today, whack, no more carrots forever. Sticks have more urgency and impact usually. So these days, we naturally, it's not our fault, but we got to deal with it, but we naturally scan for bad news, over-focus upon it, the brain then overreacts to it, the whole package is overlearned, right? If you get a job review, your boss says 10 things and one is room for improvement. What's the one you think about? Or 10 things happen in a day with your partner. One is irritating. What's the one you think about as you head for bed? Um, you know, if you hear information about another person, we're in the middle of an electoral campaign in our country. Negative information, we remember that. Positive information, we kind of slides on by. And that helped our ancestors live to see the sunrise. But today, today, it makes us suffer more than we need to. It sensitizes the brain to stress, so we actually get them more upset about stuff. It takes literally, studies show, um, you know, it wears down our health, which takes years off our lifespan over time, and it also traps us in unnecessary quarrels with other people, and it makes it harder to grow the good inside ourselves. So for me, to kind of finish my little thread here, um, Mother Nature is tilted towards survival, but against quality of life. If we tilt toward ordinary, authentic, always authentic, beneficial experiences in everyday life, we're just leveling the playing field. Well, um, you know, in, in your book, you talk a lot about how this is um, genetics as well. And over time, we've genetically changed um, because, you know, we had that flight or fight response um, for our ancestors. And then we're, we're kind of predisposed to that. Can you just explain how that has worked for us? I know you just touched on it, but maybe just a little more detail about genetically how we're predisposed to the anxiety and, and those responses. Right. Well, when we say genetically, we're talking about, let's call it the sort of like biological blueprint, okay? And that blueprint, you know, embedded in our DNA and then how that DNA is regulated, in other words, so that genes get expressed or suppressed, that blueprint probably on average is about a third or so of the story of a person's life. Some people are more influenced by their genetics, some people less, but, you know, careful studies, it, you know, it, most things show up around a third, 40% or so. The rest is environmental influences or the work we do ourselves inside our own mind for better or worse. So that's kind of a context here. Inside that context, you're absolutely right. That biological blueprint, um, as I said, tilts us toward over, over-learning from bad experiences, yet under-learning from good experiences, even though learning from good experiences ordinary experiences of gratitude, mindfulness, compassion, grit, resilience, determination, commitment to exercise, commitment to listening to what your doctor tells you to do. Um, You know, learning from those good experiences is how we grow inner strength. It's how we grow resources inside. Because in the famous saying from the Canadian psychologist, Donald Hebb, neurons that, that fire together wire together. That technically, that thing's from his work. He didn't say it himself. Other people commented on it. But neurons that fire together, wire together. So if we repeatedly rest our attention on, you know, anxiety, irritation, feeling hurt by other people, being mad at ourselves, um, getting, you know, ruminating, well, you know, those neurons are firing together, and so they start wiring together, and we become increasingly reactive, grumpy, anxious, or blue. Flip it the other way. Flip it the other way. 
if you deliberately, as I focus very much on, uh, particularly in my recent work, if you deliberately look for opportunities that are genuine, you know, no pie in the sky, no positive thinking, no rose-colored glasses, real, you get an email done. You finish a load of dishes or laundry, or you finally get the kids to bed, or you have a sweet moment with your dog, or um, you feel cared about by a friend, or um, you look up at the sky and you know you're touched by a sense of the magnificence and the of this universe, and the, and you feel grateful for the chance to be here, even on a bad day, even on the worst day of my life. I'd rather be here than you know six feet under personally, um, and so. You know, just taking those little moments that are usually small, once in a while, big one, stay with them long enough, 5, 10, 20, 30 seconds in a row, to keep those neurons firing together so you literally take in the good. You literally hardwire into your body, particularly its nervous system, the benefits of that experience, building it up drop by drop, filling that hole in your heart drop by drop, you know, strengthening yourself for the challenges of life. And finishing up here... What's particularly great about what I'm talking about, I think, is that it's at the heart of self-reliance. You know, as we go down the road of life, full of lots of challenges, with a brain that is both amazing and tilted toward survival in the Stone Age, you know, as we go down that road of life, pushed around by all kinds of stuff, economy, politics, other people, our reactions to them, the legacy in our own mind from our childhood, as we go down that road of life, it's great to know that at least inside your own mind, you are at cause. You are a hammer and not a nail. You can deliberately pull your attention away from you know stuff that you're not learning anything more from and it's just making you feel worse and deliberately rest your attention on or you know keep your attention on those uh, wholesome beneficial experiences that are the basis for building up psychological resources of various kinds inside yourself for everyday well-being and effectiveness, healing old pain, and having more inside yourself that you can offer to other people. So in your book, you talk a lot about suffering, um, which you're, you're touching on just now. And, you know, there's the quote, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Um, but, you, you know, what exactly is this, this suffering that you're talking about? Well, uh, well, let's say great distinction. So when I use the word suffering, it's a big fancy word, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think of it as a range in, of, of both physical and, let's call it mental kinds of suffering. So at one end of the range, you know, you, your back has, it feels a little not quite right. Or I have a funny little condition in my foot. It's a little uh, cartilage growth. And right now I can feel it subtly throbbing. You know, in the zero to 10 suffering scale, it's like a, Point seven. All right. So on the other hand, I've known people and, you know, they're in my family, some, some of them, who have to deal with very serious chronic pain. Or you can imagine someone just hitting a tent, you know, in some sort of physical situation. That's, that's you know, there's a lot there. Also mentally, you know, a person could be very subtly irritated or kind of feeling pressured, uh, tense as they go through a day. Maybe that's a one on the suffering scale. Or they can be just profoundly upset at the shocking loss of some loved one. Okay, so there's a range there. And um, then the second point to, to your distinction between pain and suffering, um, you know, in my own contemplative training, uh, contemplative practice, the you know, tradition I'm most aware of is Buddhism, so I, I might use a metaphor or a term from that tradition not to pitch it or push it, just to 
you know, name it, and then people can see for themselves whether it's at all useful. The Buddha distinguished between what he called the first dart of life and then all the other darts. The first dart is inescapable discomfort, physical or mental. You can't help it. You drop a brick on the foot of a Buddha, it's still going to hurt. Okay. But then there's the second, third, fourth, fifth darts we throw ourselves. Our emotional reactions, let's say, to the brick landing on our foot, or our secondary cascade of reactions that our teenager, you know, giving us that look, whatever, across the dinner table, or um, starting to worry about our own physical health. You know, that cascade, that secondary cascade of self-criticism, uh, blaming others, holding on to grievances, uh, you know, overestimating threats, and then just ruminating on it way past the point of any added value. You know, there's no incremental gain. There's no incremental gain from thinking about that thing anymore or going over that conversation in your mind anymore. It's all pain, no gain, right? Um, that's where I think uh, we have the opportunity to, um, you know, not add excess suffering to the pain that is inevitable in life. And in fact... Over time, as we add those second, third, and fourth, fifth darts, we tear down our own capabilities physically in terms of stress hormones, biochemistry. Um, we also tear down the capabilities in our own physical nervous system, including in areas like the amygdala or hippocampus, these parts of the brain that are kind of in the middle, lower region of the brain that are very central to emotion and motivation, and what it feels like to be us as we go through life. With excess suffering, with second, third, fourth, fifth darts, we tear down our capacities to deal with the first darts of life, which then sets us up for even more second, third, fourth, fifth darts in a vicious cycle. So just to sum up here, one take I have on this as a guy who's been around the block, you know, what I'm talking about here could be misunderstood as simply, you know, smell the flowers. Uh, and hey, I'm all for smelling the flowers, but really what I'm talking about is growing various psychological resources inside for healing old pain, uh, building up your inner capabilities of various appropriate kinds, including skills with other people, self-confidence, self-worth, determination, capacity, capacity to sustain mindfulness uh, in a busy, distracting world, things like that, compassion for yourself, compassion for others. You build up those strengths, and that gives you more muscles for dealing with the crud of life. The, you know, the more a person's life sucks, the more important it is to look for those little opportunities every day for a beneficial experience, and then in particular, help it land, take it in, help it sink in, so that you increasingly carry its benefits with you more and more wherever you go. Um, I... I uh... I love what you're saying, um, and I think that most people can relate to what you're talking about with the darts, because that's our, our natural human reaction. And um, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about how we can, um, you know, build up those resources that, that you're talking about, because, uh, you know, anybody where this is new for them, you know, the darts are normal, right? Those second, third, fourth darts are a normal reaction to something that's happening, and it, it might be uh, new information that those are, are something that are causing us that suffering that, that we're talking about. So we are going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Rick Hansen. He's the author of Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. So please stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Great. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, and welcome back. Today we're talking with Rick Hansen. He's the author of the book, Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. So Rick, before the break, um, you were talking about um, the darts. So the first dart, second and third dart. And um, so the first dart being a brick falling on your foot and then the other darts being your reaction to that. And, the, and, and you're saying the reactions are, um, are cause of suffering. Maybe you can just, I mean, you explained that well, but how do we overcome these reactions that are causing us to suffer more from, from something? What is our, what do we do? Right. This is really the rubber meets the road question, isn't it? Um, I think about what we can do in the moment. And then there's also what can we do to, you know, prevent issues in the future. It's kind of like, well, you got to put out the fire in the moment, and over time, it's important to develop your fire department. Okay. So in the moment, um, what I would offer is probably pretty common sense, or I hope it's common sense, but I mean it's common. In other words, you, you know, many people uh, probably say much the same thing. So I think, first of all, notice you're upset right there. That little moment is a kind of inner circuit breaker where you can step back and start to observe your reactions rather than be swept along by them. You're stepping back, you're holding your experience in mindful, spacious awareness, kind of like disengaging from the movie screen that you're glued to and popping back 20 rows with some popcorn, watching it going, wow, that really hurts, or whoa, that's intense, or something like that. Okay, that's part one. Part two, mobilize a feeling of compassion for yourself. You're upset, it hurts, it's a drag. Not wallowing in self-pity, but just more, you know, at least a moment, if not a breath or two, of a kind of warm-hearted wish, much as you would offer for a friend who had your life in that moment, 
um, a warm-hearted wish, ooh, I wish I didn't suffer, and withdraw uh, mental resources when you do that from the inner attacker who maybe is pounding on you critically and shift inner resources to your inner nurturer, uh, or sometimes I call it the caring committee, pulled, made up of multiple parts, in which you can bring a kind of sweetness, a warmth, and encouragement to yourself. Third, get on your own side. And by the way, I'm talking here about a matter of seconds in most cases, even just one or two or three. So you get on your own side, you, you, you get a sense of, hey, hey, I'm not just going to have this happen to me. I'm going to respond to it in some way. Maybe I, all I can do is you know, sort out how to be with it inside my own mind because I'm stuck. Uh, I can't do anything about what's happening to my body. I can't change the situation. I can't stop this person from doing what they're doing, let's say. But at least inside my own mind, I can be on my own side. That fundamental position of being a friend to yourself, for yourself, an ally to yourself is so easy to blow right by. But in my experience, as someone who's worked with people a long, long time, it, in many, many people, it actually is pretty weak, if not non-existent. They're a good friend to others. They're not much of an ally or friend or supporter to themselves. And that's a really important place to start. Okay, and then make a plan. Figure out what you're going to do. I'm super practical. Maybe what you're going to do is just uh, get through the situation, find your car keys, and split. You know, because <laughs> you can just see this is a no-win scenario. Other times what you do is you make a plan, you know, I need more resources here. I need to go talk to the doctor. I need to talk to a second doctor. I need to buy myself a little time and figure out what's really going on here. Maybe that's your plan. Or maybe your plan is, hey, in the moment, I'm going to put my hand up and say, stop. You keep talking to me in that way, I'm going to hang up the phone uh, or walk out of this room or whatever it is you do. You know, make a plan. So deal with it in the moment. Also then physically uh, in terms of mind, um, you know, mind-body stuff, um, you've already, let's say, in the methods I recommend, which other people, you know, common sense recommend as well, you've disengaged from the experience. So at that point, you're not reinforcing it. It's there. I'm not talking about suppressing or, or suppressing uh, or disowning or denying or dismissing uh, what's going on inside yourself. But I am talking about holding it in mindful, spacious awareness so you're no longer, dis- you're no longer identified with it, you know, glued to that movie screen. All right. That's, you've done that. A key other thing to do is start helping your body calm down. You know, the fight or flight reaction or the freeze reaction is natural. It's a kind of first dart response. Okay, it kept our ancestors alive to see the sunrise. We're their great, 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 great grandchildren today. Thank you, grandmother. Thank you, grandfather. You know, here we are. Okay, but a little bit of that fight or flight stuff, I call it the red zone, goes a long, long way. As fast as you can, start calming your body. Take long exhalations. That naturally slows the heart rate. Um, you know, feel like the tension is draining out of you. Um, shift your body so that you're, you're mo- you start moving. You know, move out of a shift out of a contracted, frozen place. Um, help yourself start to calm. There could be a sense of calm strength in all that. You might still um, have, you know, kind of in your periphery a sense of stress hormones revved up. You know, you're you're tense. You're, you know, you're you're fiery. Maybe you're outraged. Um, you know, you're concerned, um, you know there's a real thing you've got to deal with here, but in your core, you're mobilizing more and more of a sense of calm strength. And then uh, next one, really important, look for social support. We're profoundly social primates, social mammals. Um, back in the Serengeti, exile was a death sentence. 
So whether it's a child who's upset and looking to crawl back, you know, to crawl into mommy's lap, let's say, or, you know, find her friends uh, at lunch period in high school, um, as adults, uh, we uh, have a natural uh, need to look for other people, uh, other beings, including non-human animals like dogs, cats, pets, the natural world altogether, as a form of feeling like, okay, we have our place. We're in the tribe. We're in the community in some way. Someone cares about me. Someone can see this uh, that I'm seeing here. Someone can bear witness, even if they can't do anything to what's happening to me in my life these days. And if you, you know, I, I don't think that needs to be a perfect relationship. It's just that one slice of that relationship pie is legit. You know, it's genuinely beneficial. It's genuinely true. They're genuinely for you. And looking for that, you know, in all kinds of ways. So whether, you know, posting something to your Facebook page or calling a friend, you know, bringing it up at your therapist, turning to your partner or going for a walk with your dog. Also draw on internalized allies. If, you know, the outer world's, Far from perfect, as it usually is. Um, what can you draw upon inside yourself? The emotional memory, the body memory of feeling included or seen or appreciated or liked or loved by other people in your past. And then the last thing I'll suggest that I do in the moment, uh, among other things I do in the moment, is look for pleasure. It sounds crazy, but it's really true that we are designed biologically, our, and our animal cousins, our non-human animal cousins are designed biologically to to want to come out of the red zone episode as fast as possible because while it might have short-term gain, it has long-term pain. Uh, there's a cost. Uh, the technical term is allostatic load. We accumulate allostatic load from episodes of red zone um, stress or upset. So try to come home. Try to come back to the green zone, which is our fundamental resting state in mind and body in which we you know, conserve resources and repair and refuel ourselves. So wholesome physical pleasure, you know, getting a little drink of water if you're thirsty, a nice cup of tea, uh, looking outside, finding something that's beautiful, um, you know, rubbing your cheek with soft flannel, um, eating a cookie, not too many cookies, but eating a cookie, a little bit of pleasure, uh, reading some poetry or a story, something that brings pleasure to you. Pleasure is Mother Nature's natural uh, method wholesome pleasure, not addictive, crazy pleasure, like a whole bag of cookies or something like that. It, pleasure is Mother Nature's natural formula for bringing her little critters out of a spike of red zone stress back to safety, back to the home base of the green zone. So there's a, That's short term. I'll just finish yeah. off. Long term, yeah. build resources. I'm big on that. You know, build strengths. Uh, look for opportunities. You know, learn from the situation. What if it were more present in my mind would really help me with this or help me with future things like this down the road? Okay. And then you look for chances to grow confidence inside or calm strength or inner peace or a sense of contentment or love for your, you know, for, for love flowing in, love flowing out. Um, as you build up those resources, then when the world's winds blow hard, they don't knock you over so much. Or if they do, you can recover more quickly. And because you know you have increased capabilities through taking in the good again and again and again to grow inner strengths, you're more willing to dare greatly, as Brene Brown puts it. You're more willing to sail out there uh, into the deep, dark blue. You know, taking on uh, new opportunities, speaking more from the heart, uh, swinging for the fences, dreaming bigger dreams, because you know you've got 
resources inside you increasingly that can help you be successful with those larger opportunities or, you know, be able to be okay with it if it doesn't go so well. Um, I, you know, in, in everything you're saying, I can see how we've lost touch with a lot of this in our society because there's um, not a lot of mindfulness unless people are being aware of it. And, um, you know, when you say to reach out to other people, um, I, I think a lot of the time that's seen as a weakness. And um, so, you know, you're going through a tough time and, and, you know, what I hear from my patients a lot is I can do this myself. I don't need anybody else. And, um, um, you know, that, that I think, you know, you're saying we need other people um, is an important um, a point to bring forward that it, it's important to reach out and, to, you know, in a safe way if, if the person has to be safe for you, but um, that, that that's what we need is community and society so that we can have those resources for us. That's a really interesting point, Rebecca, and I see it too. And um, the, for me, so often, you know, I'm, uh, I've been doing this long enough. You know, I kind of came up through the human potential movement in the 70s and then became a clinical psychologist and I got involved in neuropsychology along the way, lots of contemplative practice and so forth. And what I see a lot is people do these either-or dichotomies, right? It's either do the political or do the personal. Either uh, turn to other people uh, to, to, you know, get yourself through a situation or rely entirely upon yourself, right? Either work the body or work the mind, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, like you, given, you know, given the nature of what you do, it's, it's a both-and situation. In other words, why not? Turn to others as appropriate and skillful. I'm very pragmatic. For me, it's bottom line. What leads to increased happiness and welfare, especially long-term, for oneself and others as well? And what reduces suffering and harm for oneself and others, um, short-term and long-term, you know, both? Okay, so um, if you pragmatically realize that it's useful to, you know, pull your dog close when you're upset about something, why not? You know, if you find it's useful to rant a little bit to your friend and then gradually, you know, slow down and your friend looks at you and, you know, just kind of smiles sympathetically <laughs> but also really communicates, you know, whatever happened on the 0 to 10 sucks scale was a 2 and, wow, you got your knickers in a twister off that, you know, at an 8 or a 9 and, you know, hey, come on, remember your happy place. Let's <laughs> Let's, uh, let's chill a little bit here. So, you know, there's a place for that. On the other hand, man, a lot of times people don't have emotional memories that are very strong, if at all, of being, you know, well-nurtured or loved as a child or in a, in a previous relationship. And, uh, or uh, they, um, in their current situation, don't have particularly supportive people around them or it would be un- inappropriate, pragmatically. It would be problematic, unskillful, dangerous even to reveal weakness, quote-unquote, or needs or, you know, sorrow or hurt or that they really did get to you. Okay, so what do you do? Well, pragmatically, what do you do? Uh, At the minimum, you can get on your own side. You can be a friend to yourself. You can see good in yourself. You can know. It's kind of a taboo these days. You can actually know to yourself that you truly are a basically good person. Not a saint yet, no halo yet but basically a, a fundamentally good, decent person. You can know that for yourself. So for me, it's, you know, it's not either or, but as a very self-reliant, I had 
you know, loving and invasive and fault-finding parents growing up who were not very good at empathy. And so I'm a big believer, you know, in self-determination, autonomy, independence, and, and you know, self-reliance and so forth. That said, guess what? We are dependent. We are dependent on the air we breathe, the sun uh, that's, you know, turning, uh, you know, chlorophyll into energy that then eventually winds up in our own bodies right now that's driving our own heart beating right now. As people listen to this, we're dependent upon that vast network of causes, and we're socially dependent. Um, we are, you know, need the, the sense of the caring and attention of others, much as our, bo- our minds need that, much as our bodies need the air we breathe or the food or water uh, we take into ourselves. And so, for me, paradoxically, it's actually courageous and strong to be big enough and strong enough to recognize our dependencies upon other people and on a vast network of causes and conditions. So, when we're, we're looking at, you know, where where we are so somebody who's hearing this for the first time and they're wanting to to develop this i mean we mentioned compassion i think is that where people start is learning that compassion to do, what are we trying to develop there rebecca to to develop our our tools for for changing this is that the compassion that's first uh, changing what the the darts so, so if oh, we're, okay. yeah, we're working I'm on the darts. About. Yeah, I get yeah. you, I think. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. to put it really simply, so life's happening, right? And yeah. also life's happening outside us. It's also happening inside us, you know, where we feel things in our physical body. Uh, we, um, uh, you know, have upsetting reactions to our childhood arise. You know, all kinds of things happen. And then how does it affect us, Right. And to put it simply, we basically deal with life on in two ways, from the green zone or the red zone, from what others and I call the responsive mode of the brain or the reactive setting of the brain. And our human nature is really twofold. We can tip either way. So to put it pragmatically, the way I would restate your question, uh, I think you'd agree, is how can we go through life swinging for the fences, you know, being living large, growing businesses, raising children, taking political action, speaking truth to power, enjoying this life, growing, healing our past, and growing our future. How can we do that on the basis or from the green zone, the responsive mode of the brain, in which the body naturally defaults to a, you know, a core of calm strength, and the mind is colored uh, with a sense of peace, contentment, and love, rather than fear, frustration, and heartache in the red zone. How do we actually do that? And the way I look at it is, you know, deal with the situation in the moment that's in front of you. You know, I've I've said a number of things already. Calm the body, step back from it, bring compassion to yourself, try to see clearly, try to see truly what's actually going on. You know, get through the storm. Get through the storm. But over time, the really important thing is to, using my metaphor here, build your sailboat so that over time um, your capacity to weather storms increases. And because you've built your sailboat, you're able to do more cool stuff. You know, you're able to see the world in a, in a fuller way. You're able to bring more people with you on your sailboat uh, so that uh, you can help them too. That's, 
to me, the, the main thing. You know, the secondary matter is get through the storm, live to see the sunrise, learn your lessons, you know, et cetera. But the primary matter is to take the long view and to grow resources inside yourself, you know, mentally and physically, and also grow resources in the outer world, in your relationships, in your finances, in where you live, you know, plant, the, plant some, you know, flowers uh, in your garden or, or in a pot on your kitchen counter, something like that. You know, do the best you can, particularly if your life is really challenged and difficult. To me, that's, that's the journey. And what interests me in particular is this process of taking in the good. In other words, actually growing from the everyday experiences we're having. And, you know, not just um, not being harmed by the negative experiences we're having, but actually being helped in lasting ways by the positive experiences we're having. And that for me means doing, you know, simple skills. I, uh, I offer many uh, me- uh, methods and resources for free on my website, rickhanson.net. Uh, there's a ton of freely offered material related to what I'm talking about, grounded fundamentally in neuropsychology, that gets into the details of this. But the essence okay. is very simple. Have it, enjoy it. In other words, okay. have beneficial experiences. Show up for them. Notice them. Be mindful of them. Don't be numb. Don't be so distracted. You know, don't be so, you know, obsessed by or ruminating on the negative. Have beneficial experiences, which are usually mild and usually enjoyable, right? Little moments, as I've said, of accomplishment or worth or connection or gratitude or calming or, you know, heart openness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Have those experiences. And then don't waste them on your brain. Help them sink in. Help them sink in by staying with them 5, 10, 20, 30 seconds in a row, opening to them in your body, helping them sink down into you, enriching them to make them big and protecting them, and absorbing them so they really, really, really go into you. All right? Do that half a dozen times a day, usually less than half a minute at a time. That's less than five minutes a day. Uh, and maybe, you know, another few breaths worth or minutes worth at some formal moments like completing a set of yoga or meditating or Pilates or walking your dog or at a meal or just before bed. You know, take those moments to keep those neurons firing together by staying with the experience, opening it to, to it in your body and receiving it into yourself to increase the encoding, consolidation, and reconsolidation of that transient patterning of mental neural activity into long-term storage, as it were, woven into uh, the fabric of your own nervous system and therefore your life. Okay. Um, We are going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Rick Hansen. He's the author of Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. So please stay tuned. We're going to be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. 
Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually, as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Welcome back. Today we're talking with Dr. Rick Hansen. He's the author of Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. So Rick, um, before the break, we we touched a lot on um, mindfulness and awareness. And um, you you used the word um, mindful spatial awareness, actually. And can you explain exactly what that is and what that should feel like when people are, are working on it? Oh, okay, sure. Um, well, mindfulness is everywhere, including on the cover of Time magazine some months ago. And um, I think that it helps to start by just being clear what we mean by the word. You know, people use it differently. I'm a little old school. I go back to the roots definition, sustained present moment awareness. It sounds easy, and most people can do it for about half a breath, but breath after breath after breath or um, in the middle of a busy day not so easy. So what you can do, and research shows this, this is true, with practice, you know, various forms of mindfulness training, like taking a program in it or starting to meditate a little or a lot or doing other things that uh, draw on a lot of mindfulness, like handwork or craft or artwork. We really have to pay attention. You can't just zone out, go on autopilot. Those literally build up circuits in your brain that will help you be more mindful even when it's not so easy. So that's kind of where we start. And what it feels like is people can do it right now. Here you are, right? Um, Try to uh, uh, stay present at the front edge of now. Here you are at the front edge of now, staying present, uh, aware of what's happening uh, in your body, in the larger, you know, kind of field of awareness, your thoughts, your feelings, your basic attitudes, you know, kind of the wallpaper of mind, you know, the inner climate of your mind right now, being mindful of that, and also being mindful of what's happening more or less in the outer world at the same time. In other words, it's one field of experience, uh, sounds, sights, um, you know, knowing uh, knowledge, ideas about the outer world, simultaneous with uh, your own internal sensations and your own thoughts and feelings. And then sustaining that moment after moment at the front edge of now continuously, breath after breath, minute after minute, day after day. And so that's essentially how I would talk about mindfulness. 
And then um, it's important to appreciate as well that mindfulness is not everything. You know, it's really important. Uh, it's fundamental. Uh, you can't really, you know, deal with the storm in the moment or build your sailboat over time if you're not mindful of what's actually happening and the causes of different things that are happening and what connects one thing to another thing. You, you know, that's, so mindfulness is really important. But mindfulness itself is inherently neutral. It simply witnesses. It is aware of. It um, uh, has a quality, and this is, relates to the words for mindfulness in the ancient Buddhist traditions, it has a quality of recollectedness. You're not forgetful. You're recollected. You're collected and recollected in the present moment at that front edge of now. All right. It's good, but if you think about it, that's neutral. That alone uh, doesn't necessarily reduce the negative inside your own mind or help you cope with it if it's outside you. Also, the neutrality of mindfulness does not itself particularly grow inner resources like resilience or secure attachment or uh, more you know, control over your emotions and your actions, more regulation, or inner resources like gratitude, happiness, um, confidence, you know, lovingness toward others, uh, feeling loved yourself. Uh, we also need to uh, make wise effort in the mind by letting go of the negative and growing the positive. So that's what I would say about mindfulness and my suggestion if people are up for it. You know, a minute or more a day, commit to something formal where you say, okay, I'm going to do something called, you know, contemplative. It could, be, it could involve prayer. Prayer um, can be something that we uh, infuse with mindfulness and we infuse our mindfulness perhaps with prayer. For many people, that's a lot of how they do it. For other people, it's more agnostic or atheistic. I got it. It's cool. It's fine with me. You know, whatever people want to do, where you just say to yourself, okay, I'm going to meditate a minute or more a day. You know, whether it's the last thing I do before sleep, or the first thing I do in the morning, I'm going to do this little thing every day for a minute or more. I can give it at least a minute, maybe more, hopefully more, much of the time. And by doing that, though, it's my special green zone moment. You know, it's where I come home to myself. I just say, whatever's going on, I'm just going to. Be with it, and in the process, by the way, I should say, of being mindful. What normally happens is the sludge and sediments in the, in the mind gradually settle down. The mind becomes clearer, the body becomes calmer, the heart gradually opens, and as we take in the good of our mindfulness practice, we actually become more and more of what we rest our mind upon. In other words, as we rest our attention and our present moment awareness increasingly on a sense of calming, collecting, heart opening, you know, well-being uh, creating. As we do that, we learn from those experiences. We turn them into emotional or body-oriented memories, somatic memories. We become more and more of what we rest our mind upon, uh, which is a beautiful practice. In the moment, you're resting your mind on something good and real and true and beneficial. And by resting your mind upon it and helping it come into you, you then become more and more of that over time. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, what? one thought I'm having here is when I started to practice mindfulness, I was actually uh, very ill. And the Lyme disease that I had, um, or still have, um, brought me a lot of pain. And so I actually struggled with the mindfulness because it brought me an awareness of how I was feeling that I didn't want to feel. And so instead I practiced gratitude. But maybe if I'd had, you know, is there a way that um, if somebody is 
you know, if that's bringing them a feeling or an awareness that they, they're having trouble with, how they can get past that. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, the way I think of it is that there are three things we can do with our mind, you know, that are useful. In other words, we can practice in three fundamental ways. We can be with what's there. We can reduce the negative. We can grow the positive. They all, of course, work together. It's not either or. But they're distinct. And often all we can do is just be with what's there. You know, we got a disease. Our body is, you know, is not working as well as it used to. Um, we could be, you know, on a, you know, uh, things could be getting worse. Or the best we can do is sort of stave off things getting worse. And we feel sad about that. We're angry about it. We, we're freaked out about it, whatever. All we can do is ride out that storm, right? We can't build our uh, sailboat. We just have to be with what's there. But then, usually, the storm passes, right, at least a little bit. And we start being, uh, having room to reduce the negative. You know, we guide ourselves a little bit out of the storm. We calm down a little bit, let's say. We vent some feelings. Uh, we feel, uh, you know, go through a catharsis where we feel kind of emptied out and, and sort of relieved. It's not great, but it's not horrible. Um, maybe we notice we're having thoughts about things, beliefs that are negative or catastrophizing or um, just not good for us and others or just really not true. Uh, we let go of those. And then at some point, we also start shifting toward the positive. We start asking ourselves, what else is also true? What's the good alongside the bad that's also true? Not denying the bad, but including the good, particularly with a brain that's designed to overfocus on and get trapped in the bad, you know, trapped in the negative tiles, if you will, in the mosaic of reality. So we turn toward the good. And in turning toward the good, uh, we have a special opportunity to grow from the good, to learn from the good, not just experience a state of beneficial thought, feeling, so forth, but actually turn that beneficial state into a beneficial trait by taking those experiences into ourselves, helping them sink in and wire themselves literally into our nervous system and body altogether. That's, to me, the bottom line. And then the rest is details. What's the most you know, pragmatically useful thing a person can do in the moment? What are their strengths? You know, what, what are their capabilities really for dealing with all this? But that's what you can do. Well, on the other hand, I, as someone who um, has definitely grappled with hard things, not super hard things like many people, including I've never had to deal with a chronic illness like Lyme disease, let's say. Um, so I don't want to you know, overstate what I know directly myself. But on the other hand, I've definitely... Uh, been with and talked with and and read uh, people who've grappled with really horrible things, and they say just what I'm saying here. You know, you um, have to ride out the storm, but that's not everything. Uh, there are also many, many things a person can do to reduce what's problematic, reduce what's painful and harmful, and also to increase what's beneficial and happy for oneself and for other people. Okay, so um, if somebody's wanting to get started on this, I know you have um, a program that can help people. Can you just um, let us know a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Um, You know, basically, I uh, have tons of free resources on my website, rickhanson.net, and also, you know, I've got books out there and audio programs that are pretty cheap. 
Also, I created this really neat online program. It's called the Foundations of Well-Being. It's about growing the fundamental inner strengths inside um, that will help you be happy uh, and effective and healed uh, as you go through this life. Uh, And it's designed scientifically. It's grounded in evidence-based practices. And it's very, very comprehensive with lots of different methods that different kinds of people can use. Uh, It's set up as basically a year-long program. You can speed it up or slow it down if you want. And once you're in the program, you know, it's yours to keep and download forever. Uh, I'm perfectly comfortable. It's very inexpensively priced compared to other offerings. I think it's completely okay and appropriate if people can, you know, afford its modest price uh, to pay for it. By the way, we have continuing education credits for many different kinds of uh, clinicians or professionals in the helping professions. So that part. And if a person is really economically um, screwed, you know, or in trouble or on a really small fixed income or really dealing with tough life conditions. The thing that's nice about this program is that we love giving scholarships. Uh, We really make it available um, so that finances should never be a block to accessing this program. And you can learn more about it, the Foundations of Wellbeing, just by going to my website, rickhanson.son.net. If you're looking for a comprehensive, highly curated, really integrated, really put together, super user-friendly, super organized program for healing and happiness and effectiveness. Uh, this is the Foundations of Wellbeing program. Well, thank you so much. Um, and I want to thank you for joining me today on the show. I think this was a good topic for, for everybody. So thank you for joining me. Thank you very, very, very much. Um, so today we were talking with Rick Hansen, the author of Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. Next week we're going to be talking with Colreach Chaudhry, the author of The Prime, Prepare, Prepare and Repair Your Body for Spontaneous Weight Loss. So thanks so much for listening today, and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 